Amen, brothers and sisters, if you would grab your Bibles, open up to the book of Ezekiel at this time. Also, I'm gonna invite the kids out this side door with Miss Joy for Jumpstart. You guys will be back by the end of the service. Uh, Mom and Dad, if you're still here in the room, open up to Ezekiel 34. Uh, If you're here for the first time, welcome. We're so excited you're here. We believe nobody is here by accident. Uh, We are diving into the Old Testament one book per week, and we are into the book of Ezekiel, the book we have all been afraid of, if you know anything about the Old Testament. (laughs) This is the one that has kept me up many nights wondering how I'm going to do this. Uh, So hopefully you're excited and challenged by that. Uh, We're going to be looking at a few verses out of chapter 34 this morning, but we're going to be looking broadly at the whole book of Ezekiel and then most specifically in on chapter 34. Uh, So with that, we're going to look at a couple of verses. We're going to skip around, uh, but you'll get the big idea of Ezekiel 34. So if you've got your print Bible, thank you for bringing it. Uh, Follow along, and then I'll give you the verses to follow along with. So we're into Ezekiel chapter 34. We're gonna read the first four verses. Now, friend, hear the word of the Lord to us. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And then go to verse 15 in the same chapter, Ezekiel 34, verse 15 and 16. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And then verses 23 and 24. Verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Friends, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and let's pray together as we dive into Ezekiel. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us even today. Lord, we praise you that we woke up to new mercies. Just as your word promises us, Lord, you never leave us or forsake us. And even better yet, Jesus, you are the good shepherd. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, we're still in this, huh? (laughs) We're still going through this. Uh, That's very much the mood of today right now, and it's also very much the mood of Ezekiel. Uh, If you know anything about the Old Testament, you'll know there's a a narrative arc. There's a basic story, right, that God raises up a nation, the nation of Israel, and that nation is called by God to uphold the covenant, 
But unfortunately, they fail to do that. And so as things start to go sort of down, downward in a downward spiral, God starts to send prophets, guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel to tell God's people, hey, things are going bad. These, this is not the way we should be going. There's injustice in the world. The poor are being oppressed. We're worshiping false gods. We're worshiping Yahweh on Shabbat and we are worshiping Tammuz on Monday. We're mixing our faith. So the prophets are coming with this message of both judgment, but also hope that if people repent, God will restore. And a lot of times, you know, the prophets speak in times that people find very, very inconvenient, right? Uh, but we have to have ears to hear, and that's very much what the prophets are constantly telling God's people, right? If you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you know, that's the kind of language that Jesus uses in the Gospels, but he's really just pulling that from the prophet Isaiah, Right? And so Ezekiel is living during a time of great turmoil within the nation of Israel. He lives during the time when the Babylonians come and they remove the people. They destroy the temple. They destroy the city of Jerusalem. And if you go to Ezekiel chapter 1, he is part of one of the first waves of the people being exiled. So if you go into Ezekiel chapter one, you'll see that he's already been part of one of the first exiles. So he's already off in Babylon, right? And he's wondering what in the world the Lord is up to. And the other thing you should know about Ezekiel is that he is a priest, which means a lot of his training and Ezekiel's life would have been centered around this thing called the temple. And if you want to understand the book of Ezekiel, right, if you look at it right here, it's got 48 chapters. The big idea of Ezekiel, the big story, is the way that Ezekiel understands what he's going through and the way that God reveals it to him is he gets a vision that God's glory has left the temple and judgment falls on Jerusalem. But at the end of the story of Ezekiel, the glory of the Lord returns and there's a beautiful ending scene of Ezekiel where a river of life runs out of the temple and all of creation is renewed. All right, so all that to say, uh, Ezekiel is a pretty tricky book. So uh, for, for you know, many of us, Ezekiel is like the book, well, I don't know, I, I gotta be careful with that. Some people love this book and then some people are terrified. And if you're somewhere in the middle, you know, hey, you're with me. I'm like somewhere in the middle. I'm like equally terrified, but also sort of fascinated by it. Uh, in many ways, Ezekiel is like the book of Revelation, but the Old Testament version. And a lot of Revelation is being pulled from Ezekiel. There's a real deep connection between Ezekiel and the book of Revelation. Uh, you know, Ezekiel ends with a picture of a river running through the temple that brings life to everything. How does Revelation end? In the same way, the river of life is flowing through the city of God and it brings healing to the nations, right? So um, all that to say, Ezekiel is very, very intimidating for many of us. But actually, if you can believe it, I actually think it's one of the easier prophets to understand. It's actually one of the easier ones. So if you look at Ezekiel, the, the outline of Ezekiel is very, very simple. It's one of the, cl the clearest outlines of a prophetic book. And really, the outline kind of goes like this. In Ezekiel chapters one through three, Ezekiel is given one of the uh, most incredible visions of any of the prophets, right? And so uh, if you haven't already seen the Bible Project on YouTube, they're wonderful summaries of the Old Testament. This is a graphic that they produced. And so what happens in Ezekiel one through three is if you see in this image right here, right, Ezekiel is off by the river, he's off in Babylon, he's been exiled, and it's his 30th birthday, that's why there's a birthday cake next to him. <laughs> and uh, if you know anything about the priests, 
priests became priests, they could go into the temple, they could do their priestly duties at what age? At 30. Well, instead of being in Jerusalem, eligible to go work in the temple, poor Ezekiel is off exiled away from God's temple, away from the promised land, and on his 30th birthday, when everything in his life was building up towards becoming a priest, it's nowhere to be found, and he's off by himself. But then God does something incredible. He gives him this incredible vision of the likeness of the appearance of the glory of God, and that's kind of like what's described in Ezekiel, and if that doesn't you know, challenge you a little bit, well, just wait till you read Ezekiel later this week. It's a beautiful depiction of God on his throne who can go anywhere. But what's amazing about this sort of opening scene, and if you go through sort of verse, uh, chapters four through 11, is we find out that the glory has left the temple. And God has left behind the temple in Israel, but it goes towards Babylon, where his people are. Right, So there is a judgment, but there's also this incredible promise that God is always with his people, even when they are going through difficulty, and even when they are in exile, God's presence hasn't actually left the people. So if you're following an outline, sort of Ezekiel 1 through 3 is this vision, and then Ezekiel 4 through 24, Ezekiel goes through all of these reasons why God is just to remove his presence and let the promised land be taken over. And it's full of incredible imagery and it can be a little bit of a challenge to read, uh, but the point is not to be appalled at Ezekiel. The point is for God's people to be appalled at their own sin, right? That's the inconvenient truth of the prophet, right? He says things that they don't really wanna hear. Uh, and so part of the description that he sees is instead of there being true worship in the temple uh, in Jerusalem, uh, Ezekiel likens it to their worshiping false gods, right? So that's part of what is happening in Ezekiel. And right, there's the glory of the Lord leaving the presence of the temple, right? But it, the beautiful thing is it's going in the direction of Babylon where his people are, right? And then chapters verses, you know, chapters 25 through 32, uh, you know, Ezekiel turns his attention on the nations and just like God has judged his people, you know, Ezekiel turns for a few chapters and he looks at the foreign nations and says, but God's gonna judge you as also because he's just. But then something really profound happens in chapter 33, right? And this is like the whole theme of the prophetic literature. God is just to punish his people, but that is not the final word. God is the God of justice, but he's also the God of grace. Uh, two weeks ago, who was here two weeks ago or watching online, right? God is not just red or what? Or blue, he's purple, right? That's the analogy that I was using, right? He's both full of grace and truth. The book of Romans says, behold the kindness and the severity of God. It's from the New Testament, right? So there's this sense that God is just, but he's also incredibly merciful and eager to forgive, right? And the more, the more you are willing to accept that, the more you will fall in love with God because you are seeing him for who he is. And the more you cloud your ears to that, the less you're gonna love God because you're not gonna know who he truly is. You're gonna, you're gonna make an idol out of your own fashioning. God will be like a superimposed version of yourself, right? If I just like the things I like about God and ignore the things I don't like about God, well, really, I'm just, you know, loving my, a better version of myself or something, right? The beauty of loving God is seeing him more and more for who he truly is, right? Um, I always think about it this way. Like when we study God's word, you know, if you have a camera, if you widen the aperture of the camera, you see more and more of the picture, 
right? Widen your hearts. See more and more of the glory of God. Okay, so back to Ezekiel. So the first half of the book, if, you could, if I could just summarize, the first half of the book is the bad news, right? But then in chapter 33, uh, everything starts to change because Ezekiel finally hears that the city of Jerusalem has indeed fallen. And immediately after that, starting in chapter 34 through the end, it's primarily good news of God's victory. And he's going to accomplish this victory primarily in a, in a profound way person. And if you look at Ezekiel 34, the way that God is going to restore all things is God himself is going to come to be the shepherd of his people. And if you remember from the verses we started off reading, what's amazing about Ezekiel 34 is if you look down in verses 15 or 16 and then compare them, you know, to verses 23, it's very interesting that when God starts talking about how he is going to seek the lost sheep, how he is gonna be the shepherd of his people, God can also simultaneously talk about how he's going to send a shepherd who is the descendant of David, right? Who is a descendant of King David, who is going to be prince of his people. So if you read Ezekiel 34 carefully, uh, listen to these pronouns. Uh, listen to what, how God said, I myself, this is the Lord speaking. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. But then listen in verse 23. And then God says in verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. So which is it? Is God the shepherd who feeds his sheep? Or is it this descendant of David who will be the shepherd of the sheep? Fascinating question, right? Builds a lot of tension for us as we study the whole counsel of God. And of course, if you keep going through Ezekiel, we get all of these beautiful depictions. You know, Ezekiel 37, it was very tempting to preach on Ezekiel 37, uh, but that's that famous scene where uh, Ezekiel sees a valley of dead bones and God says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, the best answer ever, which is, well, you know that answer, I don't. He says, but you know. And there's this beautiful depiction and God's Holy Spirit blows like wind and the bones start to rattle and they take on flesh and sinew and they become renewed people. And that's sort of the trajectory of Ezekiel. And then not only are the people renewed that were once dead, they're brought to life. The temple that is destroyed is now recreated and out of it flows the river of life and all of creation is renewed. Right, so uh, this is the, the ending of uh, Ezekiel, right? The glory of the Lord returns to the temple. And in chapters uh, 47 through 48, the river is so small on the steps, but it grows and grows and grows into this torrent that covers all of creation and all of this new life breaks forth. Right, and that's pretty much the book of Ezekiel. So how in the world, okay, so I know what you're thinking. Goodness gracious, how am I supposed to keep any of this in mind? Uh, well, what I wanna suggest to you is um, if you can get that basic story down, right? Uh, God uh, judges his people, but in that judgment, he has committed himself to redeeming them by sending the great shepherd. And one day, all things will be made new. Uh, friends, if you, can, if you can track with that, um, you can actually find incredible encouragement because Ezekiel was in the middle of it, right? On his 30th birthday, life did not look the way that he wanted it to look. He thought God had called him to be a priest. And he was a priest, but he was also a prophet. And what God was communicating to Ezekiel was even though he was off in Babylon, God was still with his people. And he had better things in store. 
and that Ezekiel should hold out on hope. I mean, who, does, who doesn't need to hear that right now? Uh, so as I've studied you know, Ezekiel and thought about how I can help you with this, uh, I think the easiest way uh, is gonna be sort of two things. Number one, we're gonna do this sermon right now, but number two, <laughs> I really wanna encourage you this week to consider joining us weekly and daily in the Ephraim Co-op. That's our, our church's daily Bible reading plan. And what we do is every morning we read an Old Testament chapter, a Psalm, and a New Testament chapter. And so this week we're gonna be reading selections from Ezekiel, and then some Psalms that correspond to what's happening in Ezekiel. And then we're going through the Gospel of Mark right now. And hopefully what's happening is you're reading all of these, you're seeing how the big picture fits together. I hope you join us. We have about 200 people who do it every week and we'd love to double that number. Why not? Those are souls. Uh, so what I wanna do is I wanna walk you through how I think you can approach something like Ezekiel uh, every day this week if you do the co-op, and even right now, it's like, if Ezekiel is too overwhelming for you, let me sort of try to bring it down um, in a way that I approach scripture uh, that, I, that I've been taught to do that I think is very helpful. So all that to say, uh, the way we're gonna look at Ezekiel 34, which is really sort of emblematic of the whole story of Ezekiel, is we're gonna go through something called the speck method. Anyone like mnemonic devices? Anybody know what a mnemonic device is? It has a silent M on that word, it's a fun word. Mnemonic device, um, who are the high school students? Keep that one in memory and you'll do well in your SAT score one day. <laughs> Figure out a mnemonic device to remember the word mnemonic device and you'll do great. Well, this is one uh, that was, I didn't come up with this, this was taught to me years ago and um, you know, we're all out of our habits. We're all out of our rhythm of life. Um, can you all admit that? We're all out of our rhythms of life right now. Uh, one of the most helpful things that you and I can do is get on a rhythm of life where you and I are in God's word every day. If I could just you know, wave my magic wand and do one thing in our church, it would be that. I would get my people in the word every day. You, know, you, you and I, we are sheep and we need sheep food. And sheep food is not on cable news, FYI. It's in your lap. So we get intimidated by Ezekiel, right? You're already coming up with reasons in your mind why you're not gonna read Ezekiel. But give me, just give me five seconds, right? So the spec method, right, is a mnemonic device because the first letters are all start with those words, right? S-P-E-C-K. When you approach a passage, when you read it, ask yourself when you're done reading it, what sins were mentioned that I need to avoid? You know, what warnings came up in the passage? And then as you read the passage, what promises did God just make me and make to his church that I need to claim? I need to hold on to this promise. And then who are the examples in the story? You know, full disclosure, a lot of the times the examples in the story in the Bible are what? Are they good examples? <laughs> no, they're like you and me. We're like, oh, what a knucklehead, Peter. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't fall into the water, right? Uh, but sometimes there are good examples, right? There's sometimes we're supposed to be like Ezekiel. And sometimes we're supposed to be like Moses, right? They're examples for us to follow. Who are they? Now, then there are commands to obey. What does God want me to do in light of this passage? And then lastly, what knowledge of God does this passage reveal? What do I learn about the character of God? Um, it's interesting to me when I talk to people who aren't Christians or maybe they are de-churched or people who you know, um, have had a bad experience in the church, I meet very few people who are outright atheists. Atheists, you know, the, the number of atheists has not really increased dramatically in our country. What's happened is people have lost confidence that the character of God is good and trustworthy. That's the issue. Uh, most of the time, you and I, we're not talking to people 
and we're not personally wrestling with whether or not God is real, the question is, is the God of the Bible truly just? That's the question in people's minds. Is he truly gracious? That's the question. So when you and I read the Bible, we need to be assessing and looking at how does this reveal the character of God, right? Am I leaning too red in his character? Am I leaning too blue? God's character is holy. <laughs> it's something else entirely. He has justice like an ever-flowing stream. He has mercy that is new every morning. The question is, are you and I willing to open up the aperture of our eyes to truly see who he is and trust that he is good, right? So as we go through the spec method this morning, you know, I'd encourage you to think about doing it every day this week in your devotional time. And if you do the co-op, it'll be right there. We will guide you through it. So let's look at uh, Ezekiel 34, right? Let's use the spec method, right? So what sins are we supposed to avoid in Ezekiel 34, right? Well, look with me uh, right there in verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, right? So that's, you know, uh, Ezekiel is a prophet. He has a unique call on God to speak on his behalf. And God says, son of man, which is his favorite term to call Ezekiel. He says, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, does he mean the literal shepherds? Is that a literal shepherd? No, it's a, you know, it's a metaphorical language. It's an analogy. He's talking about the leaders, both the political but also the spiritual leaders. And he says, listen to the people, right? Listen to me. I'm speaking to the spiritual leaders. And God condemns them. And he says, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat and close yourselves with the wool and you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak ones you haven't strengthened the sick you have not healed, the injured you haven't bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. Mm. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. Now, do you think this word of the Lord is limited to just the leaders of Israel during Ezekiel's life? Or is this a word for you and me? Well, Jesus says that we are on a mission to seek the lost sheep. In fact, in Matthew 28, when Jesus talks about the parable of the lost sheep, where does he get that image from? <laughs> Jesus is just riffing off of Ezekiel 34, right? You and I, we all bear the call of the gospel to seek after the straying sheep. There are people who are hurting, who are injured, and our call is to bind up the injured, to be tender-hearted towards one another. You know, I think, you know, I'm listening to this podcast. It's a terrible, terrible decision. Have you ever, like, watched something and been like, this is terrible for me, and then just watched it anyway? I'm listening to this podcast about a megachurch. Uh, maybe you're listening to it, too. I don't need to name it. They're all the same, aren't they? There's this megachurch of, like, tens of thousands of people. And what happens is the church buys into a narcissistic way of leadership, and tons of people get burned by it, and it all collapses in on itself like a dying star. And so they're trying to figure out what is it that's broken in the Christian world that we promote these people and we become more involved in the you know, numbers of the butts in the seat, excuse my language, than we are with producing people who act like Jesus. Isn't there something wrong with that? It's almost like we forgot that Christians are sheep being shepherded by a shepherd and we shepherd one another. We seek after the people who are missing Right? The, the de-churched people are not just to be cast aside. 
Jesus says that's the mission, right? To seek the lost sheep. Because we were the lost sheep, right? People who are experienced grace show grace. You know, there are a lot of things right now that could distract you from that mission. But at the end of the day, friends, you and I, we are called to be humble sheep. And we are called to use God's grace in our spheres of influence, right? Um, you know, when we talk about finding the lost sheep, I am not asking you to, you know, knock on your, you know, neighbor's door and be like, hello, can I weird you out for the next 10 minutes so that you never speak to me again? Some of you have done that. We love you anyway. <laughs> but friends, you know, Dave Fennell, one of our elders here, constantly goes back to this idea of our sphere of influence. Who are your friends, your family members, your coworkers, your employees, that you actually have the opportunity to shepherd, to be tender towards, right? To tell them about the great shepherd. You know, is there anybody in mind that maybe you haven't been as tenderhearted towards as you should be? Right? Those are sins to avoid. We should be listening to this and thinking, hmm, I need to self-reflect. I need to self-reflect on this. All right, so let's go to the promises. Well, what promise does God make, right? So there's a huge problem, which is we are not doing what we're supposed to do, just like the Israelites are supposed to do what they're supposed to do. And so what is God's solution? Well, in verse 15, if you look down at Ezekiel 34, verse 15, God says, okay, here is what's gonna happen. Here's the final solution. He says, I myself, this is the Lord talking, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. Hmm. There's some red in that statement. Ain't just blue. Did you catch that? That was not just blue. Oh, Jesus, mild and lowly, gentle and lowly. No. He also talks about destroying the fat and the strong. Mm. And God says what? I will feed them in justice. So what is the promise here? Well, for Ezekiel, he's looking at his people, right? They've been exiled. Jerusalem has fallen. Um, every time we try to prop up leaders, they fail us. We are not the kind of people that we should be. We have failed. And so what God promises Ezekiel is that he himself, God will come to be the ultimate shepherd. All right, it's, it's the thing David knew was always coming down the pipeline, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me what? Lie down in green pastures, Right? Where's Ezekiel pulling that language from? He's saying Psalm 23 is finally gonna truly be true in the fullest sense. God is gonna come in a unique way to prove himself to be the shepherd. So what is our promise to claim in this? Well, friends, we cannot fix people. We cannot shepherd people. We can't even fix ourselves. Have you ever seen yourself around a box of Oreos? Good grief. <laughs> this past week I was back in Birmingham where all you can do is sweat and eat. And baby, we did it in droves. You know, we were like, let's get some food. And then after lunch, we would do what? Get a snack. And then after a snack, we would do what? Get some hors d'oeuvres for dinner. And then after dinner, we'd have dessert. And then you have an a evening snack, right? All you do is eat, you know? Put me around a box of Oreos and I can't help myself, right? Well, in a, in a joking way, uh, I guess I'm trying to get you to see that 
no matter what, you and I, we cannot pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We know we're supposed to be tender towards these people. We know we're supposed to be like Christ right now, but gosh darn it, we're just really mad. <laughs> we know we're supposed to be like this, but there's just something broken in the system. Doesn't matter who we prop up, they're always gonna collapse, right? So what's the solution? Well, the solution is God himself, according to Ezekiel, is going to come down and be the shepherd. And Christian, you know who the shepherd is. What does Jesus say in John chapter 10? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Friends, the good shepherd has come. And I mean, I love being your pastor. The elders love serving you. But at the end of the day, who is your shepherd? Jesus, Jesus is your shepherd. He has come into this world and he will never leave you or forsake you if you confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Friends, whatever you're facing right now, whatever your anxiety or anger level is right now, are you keeping your eyes on the shepherd? Keep your eyes on him. Claim the promise, right? Ezekiel sure wish he knew who the Messiah was. Okay, who's the example to follow? Well, the example to follow, I think, right, is Ezekiel in a way, right, because he's, he's saying what God wants him to do. But of course, I think the real example to follow in this story is, this, <laughs> I know this may be intimidating, but the example that the New Testament will set for us, for you and me, is Jesus himself. I know that may be kind of an intimidating idea to think that Jesus is our example, but he really is. Uh, you know, Peter picks up on this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to this. It says, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Hmm. When Jesus suffered, he didn't threaten anyone, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body, on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And you know what Peter says next? For you and I were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And he says, Jesus has left for us an example, not to revile when we are reviled, not to have deceit in our mouths, but to continue entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly. Right? Jesus is the example. So what's the command we're supposed to obey, right? Well, what are we supposed to do in light of this passage? Well, um, I'm on a kick right now of SMART goals. Anybody know what SMART goals are? My first SMART goal is to remember what the mnemonic device SMART said, stood for. And I was gonna do it by Tuesday at noon, right? Huh? See, I'm learning, right? S SMART goals are specific Anybody know? Measurable, attainable. Some of you have done upper-level management. Good job. Relevant, or you have sort of disorganized spouses that you've had to teach this to. Maybe that's it. <laughs> Specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound, right? And so when you and I are sort of, what is the command to obey? What I would encourage you to do is, if there is someone in your sphere of influence, maybe it's your spouse, or it's your sibling, or it's a fellow student, or it's your parents, or it's your coworker, and you're thinking, hmm, I maybe haven't been as tenderhearted as Jesus would want me to be towards this person. Well, come up with a SMART goal for how you're gonna show love to that person. Be specific. 
you know, I'm going to pray for this person every morning and then I'm going to apologize on Friday at noon, right? Or something like that, right? Find a goal, follow the command. And then lastly, you know, what knowledge of God do we get? You know, finishing up the spec idea. Well, I think the big thing I want you to realize out of Ezekiel and what the whole book of Ezekiel is teaching us is that God will always be with his people. He will always be with us, right? Remember when that, the, the image of the glory of God left the temple? Well, it went to Babylon. It hovered over. It gave visions to Ezekiel even when he was far away. And the book of Ezekiel ends with the glory coming back to the temple, and what is the temple? I mean, Christians, we all get bent out of shape about this question. Will there be a literal temple or is this a spiritual temple? Well, I'm not really gonna speak to that right now. You can study that on your own or ask me what I think. But I think if you study the New Testament, at a minimum, what you and I realize is the temple was always where creation and God met. <laughs> the temple was where the presence of God was. And the New Testament has the audacity <laughs> to say that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Where does God, by his spirit, dwell? He dwells in you and me, anyone who trusts in Jesus. Uh, I mean, I'm not just making this up. Let me read to you from the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is trying to get the people to see that the temple where God dwells is in his people. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says it this way, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And then in Ephesians chapter two, Paul goes on this again and he says, for through Christ we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you and I in Christ, we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Friends, <laughs> are things perfect right now? Are things the way we want them to be? Are we still going through this? Yes. I wish it wasn't so. But friends, what Ezekiel has to tell us, if you have ears to hear, is that God by his spirit is with us. We have a mission and the mission is to be sheep and to love other people and point them to the great shepherd. Friends, that's the invitation. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Lord, it challenges us, but Lord, I praise you so much that it points us to the great shepherd, the descendant of David, who is both man but also fully God, Jesus, our Savior. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have proven yourself to be our shepherd. Uh, Father, would we always hear his voice and his voice alone. Father, we pray for our Stephen ministry leaders, Lord, that they would grow as caring people helpers. Lord, and we ask that we would be blessed by them and be a shepherding community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.